The feet make up one quarter of all the bones in the body, yet it's a body part most of us take for granted. Patients will experience soreness and discomfort from time to time, but usually won't see a specialist until they're experiencing an out-of-the-normal symptom. In many cases, the symptoms are benign, but foot ailments can be the first sign of a more serious medical problem. During this episode of Banner House Making the Rounds podcast, we're going to be discussing podiatric medicine and what your patient's feet may be telling you. Making the Rounds dives into medical topics with those who know them best, healthcare providers. My name is Bridget and I'll be your host for today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. With me today is Dr. Alon Cole, Doctor of Podiatric Medicine and Section Chief of Podiatry at Banner University Medicine, Tucson. Thank you, Dr. Cole, for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Please share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into podiatric medicine. Well, I got into podiatric medicine, like most people, because I had some sort of a problem that brought me to connect with the specialty. So. I had some foot issues, I happened to have family members who were in podiatry, so that's how I got involved with it. And once I saw the things that uh, podiatrists do, I found the specialty to be very interesting and decided to you know, dedicate my entire life to feet. Well, we're excited that you decided to dedicate your life to feet, and we're also very excited to have you here at Banner University Medical Center, Tucson, located in Southern Arizona. Speaking of Southern Arizona, can you tell us a little bit more about Southern Arizona Limb Salvage Alliance? And the acronym is SALSA, correct? SALSA is basically an initiative that was started by the vascular division, working with the vascular uh, team and the podiatry team to try to really coordinate because for podiatry, a lot of the situations, a lot of the acute foot infections, acute foot issues, have a very direct connection to the blood flow, which is without blood flow, we can't fix anything. I could do all surgery all day and night without blood flow, it doesn't heal. And that's true about any surgery you do with any surgeon. But without that blood flow, without the body doing what it needs to do, nothing heals. And salsa is that combination. It's making sure that we have the blood flow, we have the resources that we need to be able to heal the wounds that we see in our clinics. Without that, none of it moves. So. We coordinate very closely together to make sure that our patients are getting the holistic care, right? that we're paying attention to everything that needs to be there so that way we can heal these very complex wounds that are, of course, limb-threatening and sometimes even life-threatening. When we talk about limb preservation and preventative medicine, what are some of the barriers of treatment? Years. There's, there's this deep, deep fear that exists in the community. It doesn't matter what community that it is. Um, in which family, you know, diabetes runs in families and family members, especially older ones, have seen what has happened to their family members over the year. They go in for a little infection on a pinky toe and the next thing they know they're ending up with a below knee amputation or a above knee amputation, God forbid, or even dying in certain situations. And they have this incredible fear of seeing the podiatrist. Um, and I, I to totally understand that. It, to the same degree that you will hear people talk about cancers in the same breath, that, that kind of deep fear that they don't want to go to the doctor to be seen because they are so afraid of what will be the next steps. They don't think there's anything that can be done to save it. And you know what they understand or what they believe is that that pinky toe goes and we just keep going. 
right? It just keeps going up the foot, it keeps going up the leg, and there's no way we can stop that train. And that is one of the most destructive things out there in the community, in the diabetic community, that they need to understand that coming in for help early, that is the way for us to get ahead of this. It's when they let these fester, when they let them become in these raging infections that we end up in situations where we have to keep moving up the foot in an attempt to try to get it under control. So that is probably the biggest and most pervasive problem we have is that education for patients to understand come in early when it's treated early it is really not as big a deal as people make it out to be. The problem is in the foot, there's very little tissue between the outside world and the bones. And when we're talking about the bones, the real issue is osteomyelitis, a condition that we've been treating for, you know, we as a profession, medicine, have been treating, you know, for, for a long, long time. Once you have bone infection, it doesn't go away. We can suppress it with antibiotics, we can control it to some degree, but the main treatment for it is surgical resections, at least as of now still. So the minute they get a wound, if they wait, you have two millimeters, three millimeters worth of tissue before you know, that toe is now exposed to the outside world. And we know from our studies that the minute you can probe down through a wound and touch the bone, chances you're gonna get a bone infection are incredibly high. Now, once we have a bone infection, we have no choice, right? We have either the amputation resection of bone or long-term suppressive antibiotics in which the patient can have recurrent um, episodes of cellulitis and acute infection that are happening from that bone, from that infection, which oftentimes can lead again to even worse amputations further up the leg. So it puts our patients in a very, very difficult position. So they're afraid to come into the doctor. They're afraid to see us because of what might happen. And during that time, those you know, couple weeks that they're waiting while they're, you know, hoping that'll just go away, that bone gets infected and now we're down that pathway. We're trying to salvage that, that toe or salvage that bone and automatically the outcomes become much more complicated. The costs exponentially grow and the chances that they're going to lose the leg are, are, are much, much higher. I read one of your quotes recently that stated, we have focused on limb salvage to address limb-threatening wounds and infections, which often meant treating these conditions when they're already very advanced. Educate us on how our providers can diagnose and address some of these issues before they become limb-threatening. Well, from a provider perspective, um, you know, from primary care and specifically when we're talking about limb salvage, that's usually going to be more adults, um, older adults. Uh, the main thing is trying to get them to take off their shoes and socks for their visits. A lot of patients will try to hide what they have, even if they know they're going to their primary care doctor for the exact reason. They know that someone needs to look at that, but they'll make sure that they keep their shoe closed. They'll make sure that they spray it down so it doesn't smell, even if there's an odor from a wound. They will go to great lengths sometimes. So the simplest thing from a primary care provider, you're checking everything else, have them take off their shoes, have them take off their socks, and do just a very basic exam. Look at it, check between the toes, check the bottom, just check around, because oftentimes that's the fastest way to catch these problems. Now, when we're talking about prevention, that's a, a little bit more complicated in the sense that you, know, you have to do actual testing on these patients. Um, the kind of standard, if you will, currently is to do the Sims-Weinstein monofilament, which is kind of what we would call protective sensation 
protective sensation, meaning that you know you touch them with this little monofilament. If they don't feel the monofilament, the assumption is that they could get an injury that they don't know about. And if they get an injury they don't know about, that's how we start on that pathway, right? The classic setup is, you know, I took off my sock doc and there was blood on it, right? That's what we will hear in our clinics or, or the primary care may hear that. So doing the Sims-Weinstein test, which thankfully over the last 10 years, and I think, you know, due to some of the work from uh, my predecessors here at, at Salsa, um, the, the word has gotten out to do those checks, right? They, they, some providers actually do those quick monofilament checks, but at the same time, that is a late stage kind of check, right? That's, that's at the point where you've already lost significant other sensations that could just as easily cause you damage. And really, we don't want to wait till that point. In my opinion, and I, and I won't say this is based on large studies, but I do believe that if we went a little bit further up the chain of sensation, if you will, um, you will have much better uh, capture of these patients who are on the pathway of getting neuropathy. So when I say the, the, the chain, if you will, or the hierarchy of sensation, loss of protective sensation is kind of far down on the list. First things you'll lose would be temperature um, and vibration. So vibration would be with a tuning fork, right? We can take a 256 hertz tuning fork, tap it, get that little vibration, put it to the patient's first metatarsophalangeal joint, and see if they feel that. Normally what will happen is as the vibration decreases, the provider will still feel it in their hands. If you're still feeling it in your hands as a provider and the patient is no longer feeling it on their foot, that should be a warning sign. That automatically should put them on your list of patients that need to get to podiatry a little bit faster to be able to screen a little bit more closely. Because once you're losing vibration, the chances you've lost temperature or not feeling temperature correctly are pretty high. And then when we're talking about temperature, you're like, so what's the difference? Why does that matter, right? Well, it matters very simply. A lot of people like to test the water of their shower, for example, by putting their foot under the faucet. If you're not feeling temperature correctly, guess what you're going to do? Put your foot under the faucet, leave it there long enough. Next thing you know, you pull out, you have a first degree burn. And I'd like to pretend that this you know, happens one off. This happens way too often. And it's that simple for these patients to get injured. Hopefully with a person who just has some vibratory loss and some temperature loss, they would feel at least the pain of getting the burn, but that's already too far along the pathway. So the screening tools that are being used currently are helpful, but I think we can move that screening further up and catch these patients sooner. Because once you know they're on their pathway, you can do more on the education side to teach them how to keep their blood sugar under control, reminding them that they're on this pathway where they're losing sensation, which is part of that group of different things that you know you need to have in place to get limb-threatening infections, right? Lose sensation, lose blood flow, you are in a very bad spot. And all of these things are oftentimes connected, especially in our diabetic patients. But neuropathy can happen to all kinds of patients. It's not just diabetics. Neuropathy can happen with patients who've had chemo. Neuropathy can happen with patients who have different, you know, systemic diseases that in which neuropathy is very common around the world for a long time. It wasn't diabetes that was the issue. It was actually Hansen's disease, uh, more commonly known as leprosy, um, to that in its advanced stages causes a loss of sensation in the feet, which led to the same things. So it's not just diabetics. We think about diabetics because that's just the most prominent thing in our faces, but really it's neuropathy and anyone who has it is automatically at risk. The diabetic's more so at risk because if they have the high blood sugar, that's like superfood for the bacteria. So you get a small opening, 
add that plus blood sugar, boom, the whole thing goes off like a firecracker. So should a primary care be examining um, every patient that comes through? So every patient that comes through for their annual physical exam, they do a monofilament test? That's a hard thing to say. Uh, whenever we talk about um, any study, any anything in medicine where we're trying to evaluate, there's a sensitivity and a specificity to any test, and we don't want to overload the system by sending everybody through just because um, they came back with a little bit of a decrease. But patients who are diabetic, patients who have had chemo, patients who have histories of neuropathies in their families, um, these are all the kind of patients who you should be regularly screening. Um, it should be part of an annual physical, I would say, for older adults, probably people 65 and older, just because there is a certain level of loss of sensation with older adults, not to the same degree. Uh, but more often than not, neuropathy is a condition that, especially when we talk about diabetes, um, is a condition that happens later on. It takes time. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen immediately. It has to do with, you know, to some degree about their blood sugar control, and the other part is time. So more often than not, it's going to be your older adults, probably over 40 in that category, you should be at least considering it. But anyone diabetic, anyone with a history of chemotherapies um, and family histories of neuropathy should be checked, yes. What type of discussion should a primary care have with their patient regarding preventative foot health? Right. Or so is, is a referral to a podiatrist that preventative step? Well, I'm always uh, hesitant to add more burden onto primary care. Primary care is like the front line. You know, they are getting beaten up all the time. They have God only knows how much work between their, their work that they're actually doing and on top of that, all their attempts to coordinate the care with the different providers, the referrals and all that. So I'm always kind of loath to add too much work onto them. Uh, but basic education on like what your shoes should fit like, how they should be, would be helpful, though I don't necessarily presume they should. A good way for them to do it quickly to get an answer about whether or not a patient has like foot gear that is causing parts of their problems. Many uh, shoes will have like a little insert inside of them that you can pull out. So have them just pull that out and stand up on it. If you see, if you don't see like a border of fabric all the way around where their toes are when they're standing up, more than likely those shoes are going to cause problems. And that's a simple, simple thing to explain to people. And I, I have these conversations a lot with my patients where I'm basically teaching about basic shoe education, right? We as adults and, and society in general do an absolutely terrible job about teaching people about shoes. You know, we, we put them on them, you're like, here, here are shoes, this great invention we figured out, you know, thousands of years ago, enjoy, right? But the problem is there's this constant idea of like, oh yeah, no, I'm wearing the shoes, then I'm breaking them in, right? That you're never breaking <laughs> shoes right, in, right? right? Shoes are breaking you in. And uh, as I constantly tell my patients, it's, it's the same as braces in the mouth, right? If your shoes don't fit you right, they push on the toes. Pushing on the toes, toes are not strong enough to withstand the forces that are being put on them. The rest of the foot is pretty good, but the toes themselves, no. So if you have a tight shoe in the front, which most people do, and that just comes from usually from childhood, because you know, you're growing like a weed, you're asking your parents to get you know, your new pair of shoes, and they're like, no, you're not getting another pair. Wait your six months, and finally you get your six-month new pair. You're like, yeah, I've got new shoes. And you go from like having like a club foot sitting inside that shoe with all your toes curled up, and you finally let them out like a little bit. And you're like, oh, that feels so much better. But you don't even realize it's still way too tight. Yeah. 
Yeah. And those deformities that are happening from the shoe are just the way, same way that the braces move the teeth in the mouth is the same way that they're going to move your toes. They're going to reshape them. Bunions, hammer toes, these are not diseases that exist in the body. These are diseases of shoes. In societies that don't have shoes, they don't have these problems. So, you know, you see how much disease there are in foot structure, right? We see it all the time. We think about the foot care, think about all the ads you see about all these things, but all of these could be prevented if people had shoes that actually fit them in the first place. Simple, simple is that you need to have at least a thumb's breadth from the end of your longest toe to the end of your shoe, and there needs to be a border around your entire toe box, the area where your toes live inside the shoe. If you do not have that, by definition, your shoe is too tight, you will have problems. The foot normally gets its injuries from constant microtraumas. That's basically what happens. And when we say microtrauma, it's not like a little hammer, right? We're talking about just these little taps, but these little taps will deform your nail, they'll cause fungus in your nail, they'll cause all these things. And more often than not, it's the shoes. Without that, most people wouldn't really have these problems. Now, and, and when your feet are out of alignment, so is the rest of your body, right? So everything from poorly fitting shoes to arthritis can cause foot pain, but your feet can be a clue to your overall health. So yeah, your, your feet are certainly a clue to your overall health, but I like to think about the feet kind of in, in terms of the discussion in the same way one speaks about, you know, pediatrics being different than adults. It's not just, uh, you know, that they're little people, right? They're different. Their, their physiology is different and the way they work is different. And the foot is the same, right? People don't understand that the foot being at this terminus of the blood flow, right? At the very end of your blood flow, as far from the heart as anything pretty much can be and still get it, it works differently, right? As an example, uh, when we do suturing for a wound um, or an incision or anything like that, right? The, in the face, they'll put sutures in and take them out within a week, maybe two on a, you know, a bad day. In the foot, two to three weeks at a minimum, right? Because you're getting less blood flow there at, from start, right? Not, not like because you have a problem. From the very start, you have less blood flow coming down there. So things are going to heal more slowly. So therefore, your foot is going to be as, if you will, the canary in the coal mine, right? It will let you know when things are happening that are problematic. So when people have vascular disease, occlusive disease in their legs and feet, that is often a very clear clue that you also have it in your heart, right? It's not just in your feet. So when we're seeing these things where there are changes in the foot, um, oftentimes when they get the vascular changes, the, the, the skin will get trophic, right? They'll get shiny, they'll lose pedal hair, they'll, they'll have changes, the temperature will be more acute, what we call the temperature gradient. If you run your hand from the knee down to the toes, you should have a gradual decrease in temperature. But oftentimes you'll run your hand and suddenly it's, there's a clear drop off in temperature. These are things that clue you in to say there's something wrong with the vascular system in some way, right? The skin as well. Whatever you see on the foot, very likely you have other places. Sometimes people will have different arthritis that you know, manifest in dermatologic expressions and we'll see them first down in the foot. So yeah, we see these things regularly in the feet and we'll kind of give warnings back to the primary team to be like, hey, we're seeing this, something doesn't seem right. So there's a lot of different things we can pick up from the foot. Um, probably not as many as some people would like to believe, like how many things we can get out of it, but we can certainly see a lot of these major health issues show up in the foot first. So neuropathy, again, being one of those things that tells us, hey, maybe your blood sugar is not being controlled properly because these are the issues of, you know, from diabetes being poorly controlled. You know, what are some of the tests that you do as 
podiatrist to, to identify some of those concerns? Well, it's shockingly simple. It's, you know, feel their pulses, right? It's as easy as that is the first start, right? And making sure to just look around the foot, seeing the overall health of the skin, seeing the health of the nails. For our neurological exam, I'm always doing a vibratory exam. I'm always doing a Sims-Weinstein monofilament exam and to try to figure out exactly how much nerve loss they have. I'm doing the same regular physical exam that would be done where we're doing muscle testing and all of that. Those are all things that will clue people in to problems. I think the only thing that probably is special to podiatry that other providers either don't do or couldn't do as much is our gait examination. So as podiatrists, I spend, you know, we spend most of our time watching people walk. And bonus for us, we can see, we have the luxury, unlike a cardiologist, for example, like he's not gonna sit there and run an EKG on someone on the subway, but when I'm on the subways, you know, when I used to in New York, um, you know, I'm seeing hundreds of people walking. I'm, we are experts in gait. We know what gait is supposed to look like and we know when there's problems. So I can quickly pick up from a patient's gait exam whether they're starting to have instability in their walking, which is very, very common in our older adult population. And it's something you want to pick up before they fall, right? Or I can tell when patients are having, you know, issues where, with regards to their, uh, or possible issues with regards to their overall cardiovascular health because you can see how they're walking in which, you know, basically there's two types of walking, propulsive gait and apropulsive gait, right? Which basically just means you're supposed to be able to push yourself forward with your walk. But lots of people, you see them kind of like, waddling or kind of like putting one foot down a little bit and from those things you can tell oh this guy's hip is completely shot we, you can tell that from the person's leg just swinging out instead of actually lifting the foot right these are all things that will let us know that there are problems happening neurological manifestations show up early because walking is complicated it's not easy for people to do and you will oftentimes pick up early uh, neurological disorders by just doing gait exams. And when you see these patients walking around and you can tell there's something off, that will often give us an opportunity to kind of throw up the flag and tell them, okay, you need to go see a neurologist now, you need to go see your primary care more so, you need to see orthopedics, whichever it is. Right? When you were bringing up my quote from before, the point was getting ahead of the problems. When we're small, when you can treat problems when they're small, they're so much simpler to deal with. But when you give them the time to fester into this beast that you have to wrangle with, whether it's from the diabetes side and the limb preservation side, or it's from the side of you know patients having constant repetitive trauma that has caused them severe bunions, that has caused them severe arthritis in their foot or whatever it may be, and then we have to do the reconstruction on that side. Feet are, are not amenable for surgery. You know, they don't like it. You don't, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where the foot is in a, uh, a gravitationally disadvantageous position because you're basically pointing down so that you're going to have more swelling. You're going to have more issues with the area, you know, having delayed healing deaths because of the blood flow. The bones themselves, this is an area where you're putting constant pressure. That means you're off one foot. You're putting all the pressure on the other foot. The bones themselves to heal them up. Depending on the kind of reconstructive procedures we do, you're looking at, you know, easy four to six weeks that you're not putting weight on the foot where you're trying to recover and heal these bones up you know these are not fast things these are things that will take people out from their jobs it's going to put them in disability categories for a long period of time where if we could go back 20 years and and get get them there 
we would be able to save them from those problems. You know, and it's not like a theoretical. We know the source, whether it be shoe issues, whether it be an issue where they didn't treat a particular problem they had in a timely fashion, whether it's you know trauma to the foot or wounds to the foot. All these things, if we get at it early, we will be able to save both the patients and the system, healthcare as general in the United States, so much time, energy, and money. And they will be able to save their productivity, they'll be able to go to work, they'll be able to do all these things. And a lot of these are simple fixes if we can get it to it before it reaches the surgical stage. Once we hit the surgical stage, things get exponentially more complicated and take more time. Dr. Cole, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing the importance of managing foot health and the specialty care and management that podiatric specialists can provide. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Dr. Alon Cole and the podiatric services provided at Banner Health, please visit us at bannerhealth.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Making the Rounds.